All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of James. We are going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and it's connected again in typical James fashion to the preceding section by the idea of the word of truth that was mentioned at the end of the last section, and the word here is picked up again. And so we're really dealing with in this paragraph how to respond to the word of God, the word of truth. And specifically what James tells us, we want to summarize the whole thing, is that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers. Hearing and doing the word of God, having a submissive attitude to the word of God, that's what this paragraph is all about. And James begins this paragraph by saying in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren. What do we know? What is he talking about? Well, I take this you know to really be a backwards look. In other words, what James has just said is something you you already know, you should already know. James really believes he's reminding them. Well, what did he tell them in the preceding paragraph? Well, he told them that don't blame God for your sinful behavior. Don't blame God for temptation. That's not God's fault. It's your fault. And that seems to be what he has in mind here. So this you know. You know this. You know that ultimately it's your fault when you sin and do what's wrong. It's not God's fault. This you know, my beloved brethren. But, he goes on in verse 19 to say, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That is really like conventional proverbial wisdom. Uh, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And yet, In context, the primary focus is on our response to the Word of God. And so oftentimes that phrase is pulled out of verse 19. I've heard it used, say, at marriage retreats and relational advice. You have, you know, two ears and one mouth, and so you should listen more and talk less and that kind of thing. And certainly it's applicable in those those arenas, but that's not the primary focus here. James seems to be taking what may be conventional proverbial wisdom and applying it to this issue about how we respond to the Word of God, because he goes on in verse 20 and says, for the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God, therefore putting aside dot dot dot, and he says, receive the Word. And so he seems to be primarily talking about our response even here to the Word of God. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Here's the way I read that in context. In the preceding paragraph, as we noted, James has just told them that it's your fault when you give in to temptation and you sin. It's not God's fault. So don't blame God. It's your own fault. It starts with your desires. Well, that, that's a pretty in-your-face, you know, con- confrontational message. And it would be really easy to want to push back and defend ourselves and do, do so angrily. And James is reminding him, you know this, but make sure you're quick to hear and you're slow to speak and you're slow to get angry. And so in the context of being quick to hear this message from God, I take slow to speak as slow to speak in defense of yourself. Well, 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 right. And slow to get angry, you know, to be angry because James has just given a pretty confrontational message. And I think 
the, the major application of verse 19 has to do with how we respond to a corrective message from the Word of God. Don't defend ourselves. Don't excuse ourselves. Let's listen closely. Let's hear what the Word of God says when someone reproves us even or rebukes us. And we want to defend ourselves angry. Let's be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. angry. Why? Well, notice verse 20 gives the rationale. For, for explains. It's giving the reason. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Let's start with the phrase righteousness of God. Typical Pauline use of the phrase righteousness of God usually makes it refer to you know, God saving justice, us being declared right in God's sight, and that sort of thing. But James seems to mean here uh, the righteousness of God in the sense of the kind of righteousness God expects of you, the righteous life God requires. And, and thus we should understand verse 20 is saying, when we get angry and defend ourselves, that doesn't lead to the righteous life God desires from us. So since getting angry and not listening doesn't really lead us to humble ourselves under the word of God and respond positively to it, what should we do? Well, verse 21 tells us what we should do. Verse 21 says, therefore, in other words, here's what I want you to do. Here's the conclusion to all of this. Therefore, notice, putting aside, setting aside, or putting away, in fact, it's an aorist participle in Greek. Here's what that means. Um, an aorist participle means it speaks of more like kind of completed action, uh, making a definitive decision. This isn't something you do repeatedly and over. You make a definitive decision. You're going to set aside all filthiness and all the, that remains of wickedness and in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That's what James wants us to do. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry because God's because the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteous life God requires. So what you should do is you should have decided that you're going to set aside all filthiness Filthiness is that idea of just anything that defiles, anything that uh, is impure, and all that remains of wickedness. In other words, the residue of wickedness in your own mind and your heart, you've resolved you're going to set that aside. And in humility, this word isn't the normal word for humility. The normal word for humility is lowliness. This is more um gentleness. This is more considerateness. And so this idea of restraint. So with kind of restraint and gentleness and considerateness, receive. And the word receive there is welcome or take in hand, grasp a hold of. And that grasp a hold of idea really fits the context here. He says, receive the word implanted. Let's Think that through. What does he mean by the word implanted? He's not saying receive the word so it can be planted. He's saying receive the implanted word. In other words, receive the word that's already planted within you. That's the idea. It seems that James is playing off the preceding verses where he talked about God bringing us forth or birthing us by the word of truth. And what he seems to be suggesting is that that now has become our nature. That's like planted in us because it's who we are. It's the thing that God used to bring us forth. And 
And so it speaks almost in modern vernacular of like our DNA is, you know, comes from the word. We, we were birthed by that and thus the word is planted in us. And hence, I think when he says receive the word and plant it, I think what he's saying is since this is the word that's planted in you, not necessarily welcome it, but that's why I say take in hand or grasp it. Take hold of this. This is who you are. This is part of your nature. You need to listen to the message from God's word. You need to take it to heart and take it in hand and grasp it here. And that seems to be what he has in mind. And so we take hold of the very word of God that's planted within us, which he says is able to save our souls. It's able to save our life, our very self is the idea. Don't think of soul as something separate here from the body. Think of soul as your whole being, your whole life, the whole person you are, that this this word, by taking it to heart, taking it in hand, it's able to really save your life and to, to save who you are, to save your being. And then he goes on in verse 22, the well-known section about being doers of the word. So he says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove is literally become. So become, it's present tense, so it's continuing action. So be becoming people, be people who are doers of the word. That's who you are. You're somebody who, when you hear the word of God and you take it to heart, you put it into action, you do it. So be a doer of the word uh, of God, not merely a hearer who deludes himself. What does delude mean? Well, delude means deceive. It refers to self-deception. It's so easy to feel like, man, I, I've heard the Bible. Oh, I've heard that one before. Oh, yeah, I heard that in a sermon before. Oh, I've read that before from the Bible. And we, we've we heard a lot of the Word of God. We've got maybe even highlights in our Bible, and we know plenty of the Word of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're actually doing it. And so we cannot get so satisfied with knowing the Word that we, we feel good about ourselves in spite of the fact we don't actually practice the word, that's James's encouragement to us here, is you need to be doers, not just hearers who deceive themselves. And then he uses an, an analogy for this. He says in verse 23, anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. So here's a person who they, they've read the Bible or they hear a message from God's word. They hear a sermon. They're a hearer of the word of God, but they don't actually put it into practice. He is like a man, James says, who looks at his natural face in the mirror, literally the face of his birth. So he looks at himself in the mirror. He looks at his face in a mirror. And once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. He's immediately forgotten what he looks like and who he is. Now, in order to understand this, we have to understand, again, their cultural context. So we realize um, how different it was from our world, right? Mirrors were rare in the ancient world. Mirrors were made of polished bronze. And so you would polish a piece of bronze, you would hold it up to yourself, and you look at yourself, and you would get a rough approximation of what you looked like. They were typically the, you know, the possession of the wealthier class. So the average person didn't have a mirror, and it was rare for them to get a chance to look in a mirror. And when they did, it would be amazing. They think of like a, a you know, a little toddler or who first really takes notice of themselves in a mirror in our cultural context, and it's like, they're just amazed. They get to see themselves, right? Well, in the ancient world, to see yourself in a mirror was just a rare thing. So you had occasional mirrors. Maybe you could see yourself in a glassy pond, 
Uh, certainly there were no photographs, so the average person really had not a super great idea what they looked like. They didn't see themselves every day like we do. We walk into a, a bathroom, there's a mirror, we see ourselves. That just didn't happen for them. And so you didn't walk around with a super great impression of who, who you were. You didn't have a cell phone where you could take selfies on a regular basis and look at yourself. And so seeing yourself was a rare experience, uh, one that you would take, you know, with, you man, you'd be excited to look at yourself. James's point here is that here, you know, having the opportunity to look at the Word of God is like that rare gift, and you get a real clear glimpse of yourselves, and and to be given this opportunity, and then just not make any changes, is like looking at yourself in a mirror, like, oh yeah, and you walk away, and it's no big deal, you don't make any changes to yourself, you immediately, he says, forget what kind of person he was. And I think James has used that language because it plays into the point he's making. You had an opportunity to look at yourself, and instead of you know, reveling in that opportunity, you just casually, you know, oh yeah, no big deal. You walked on, and it was like the Word of God went in one ear and out the other. Um, and James is saying that's what it's like to be a person who hears the Word but doesn't put it into practice. They've missed this rare opportunity. They've missed this golden moment to really get a clear glimpse of themselves and make whatever changes they needed to make. James says, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, he says in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, um, God's perfect truth, the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that brings freedom, and abides by it, dwells in it, lives by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, playing off the imagery, but an effectual doer, a, an effective doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Do you want to have God's blessing on your life? Do you want to know God's uh, the blessing of really God's favor and God's law in your life? Well, put it into practice. Be an effective doer, not a forgetful hearer. And so we need to take to heart God's word and be someone who puts it into practice. And then in verse 26 to the end, verse 26 and 27, James gives a few specific examples of here's things God's people ought to be doing. Here's some ways we ought to be living out God's word. He says in verse 26, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So, one way in which we ought to respond to God's word, one specific thing that marks us out as an effectual doer is controlling our tongue, bridling our tongue. He'll have a lot more to say about that in chapter 3, and so we'll save our discussion of it for then, but that's one thing we need to do as a religious person. And in verse 27, he gives two more. He says, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so bridle your tongue, visit orphans and widows in their distress, keep oneself unstained by the world. Those are some ways that effectual doers respond to God's word. And verse 27 reminds us, that God is the, the God and Father uh, who cares for orphans and widows. You hear that all throughout the Old Testament and God's 
uh, original law, the God is the God who defends the orphan and defends the widow. He comes to them in their distress. And so we as God's people should follow suit and be people who visit, who care for, who look after. That's the idea of the word visit. It's to look after and to care for orphans and widows in their distress. Not just stop by their house, but to look after them and to care for them. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, to not be tainted by the world's system and the world's values and the world's ways. And so we keep ourselves unstained by those things. Again, these are some themes that James will pick up later in the letter, and so we can deal with them in more detail there. But here, just bear in mind, James's ultimate point is that God's people who are following Jesus need to have a submissive attitude to God's word. And so when God's word confronts them and when God's word challenges them, instead of angrily defending ourselves, we ought to humble ourselves and gently receive and welcome that word, take it to heart, and begin to put it into practice in tangible, concrete ways in our life. It's not just enough to do religious activity and to say we're religious. We actively need to be putting into practice God's word in our life.